Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, here, got a great episode for you today and the first of a series of camp questions. So we're going to look ahead at what are the big questions entering Ravens training camp. Today, we're going to talk about the interior offensive line to start off. And joining me is Coach DC. You know him as at all 22 films, at all 22 underscore films. Uh, on Twitter, how are you doing, man. Coach? Good. Thank you for having me again, man. I really appreciate it. It's always fun. Yeah, always great to talk football with you, Coach. And, uh, you know, a fairly deep and crowded group on the interior offensive line we'll talk a little bit about today. But uh, Kevin Zeitler, of course, uh, had a terrific season last year. The new draft pick, Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, Cologne remains around. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a guy who, who may be on the fringe of the roster, uh, Ben Cleveland, of course, uh, Phillips, McCary and Powers rounding out the field. So a fairly deep group of interior offensive linemen to start camp. Yeah, they're, first of all, they're blessed, not just individually with getting a guy like Zeitler last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, mm-hmm. a training camp cut from the Giants, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. They signed him as a free yeah. agent. Uh, I don't remember if he was a training camp cut or not. I thought they signed him kind of earlier. Maybe. In maybe. But anyway, in any case, they're blessed individually to have Zeitler. But then as the whole group... I think I think there's a certainly certainly the, um, all of football and coaching is reactionary. We are definitely reactionary this year with fortifying the O line after witnessing, you know, how 2021 played out with our O line 
uh, you know, really undercutting all of our other value that we had. Yeah, it's a, it's a very true. Obviously, Lamar Jackson really struggled for the first time in his career, really went through his first slump uh, with a with an O-line where he did not really trust his blind side the way he mm. could with Ronnie Stanley there in, in previous times. So, uh, you know, a, a down year for the offense. And in a lot of ways, we're going to talk about the interior offensive line today, but the, the, the Ravens are so dependent upon a return of a healthy mm-hmm. Ronnie Stanley to have a good offensive line this year. There's really no other way they can shuffle the cards mm-hmm. to make it work uh, if if Ronnie Stanley is not a playing quality offensive line, quality left tackle. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to think, we, we as fans, and then I'm sure the front office would like to think that we've created positional depth everywhere, you know, especially tackle. Mm-hmm. I know this video is about interior line, but yeah, if Ronnie Stanley's not the guy at left tackle, there is a ceiling at which we're not we're going to be hitting our head as far as the offensive line. Uh, he clearly, you know, expands that ceiling vertically, and then I think he also opens up a little bit more of the playbook because he's so athletic on run yes. concepts and pass, pass concepts. And personally, too, for a guy like him with that ability, I'd love to see him return to full health because it's got to be frustrating for him, knowing the type of player that he is, um, having to deal with these injuries in consecutive years. Yeah, uh, it's a you know it certainly is a bummer. As soon as it happened, it's one of the events you see and you say this changes mm-hmm. everything. But uh, he uh, he the athleticism was such a big thing, and I think people understate that. He's one of the really few left tackles who can contribute on the backside of a run play without mm-hmm. cut blocking. So if they're running zone right or something, or even if they're running a power where, where you know the guard is moving to the right. And, you know, there's maybe an extreme t- angle being taken by a center. He can get out at a level two and level three and make a block. I mean, he's just a, he's so effective at moving. And we talk about getting Tyler Linderbaum. We're going to talk a little bit about that today in terms of what he adds to the offense in terms of his mobility. But getting Ronnie Stanley back, huge yeah. increment of mobility as well. So hopefully yeah, it all works and, out. And, you know, on that, not just Ronnie Stanley, but this is kind of like, you know, expanding it out to all offensive linemen, the preponderance or, you know, how often zone systems are used in high school now means that as you get these guys in the NFL who run these zone systems, in a lot of cases, they've been running it for eight, nine years. And if they redshirted in college, you know, maybe it's nine or 10. And, and I will tell you from a high school standpoint, there's people who go to a zone, you know, scheme and they, they take their lumps for the first year or two because you don't mm-hmm. just transition to it. There is a, um, we, you know, we briefly talked, you know, pre-show or last night that, you know, there is, if you're a good offensive lineman, you're a good offensive lineman. But there is a difference mm-hmm. in someone who has run that that structure. And Ronnie Stanley could do anything. He can run a gap scheme. You know, you could probably put him in there at guard. He's that athletic and, and strong. You know, and, and uh, it's a shame that he's been injured. It would be wonderful to see him healthy. It, it would really, to me, make us a, a much better team immediately. Yeah, completely agree. Let's let's get back to the interior mm-hmm. offensive line, though, because we do need to get through this. There are two guys kind of on the outside, and it's it's unusual that you have only two guys that are interior offensive linemen that are on the entire roster that uh, really are on the outside looking in. But but Jimmy Murray mm-hmm. is in camp, don't know much about him. And Khalil McKenzie uh, is, is actually an interesting yeah. player who might make the team in other years and perhaps mm-hmm. even this year because he's really a defensive tackle who's listed as a guard for the Ravens. And it allows them to play right. some games with the eighth man on their active roster. 
um, uh, each week. That's an interesting point. Like me, I had never, that's the fun thing about talking to people and especially pe- not people that you meet face to face every day, but people like yourself who have a, a long history of paying attention to the Ravens. Like, yeah, McKenzie is a guy who probably would make the roster six out of every 10 years in most cases for the Ravens because of that positional depth that he has. That's a neat point. I, I had not thought of that. Um, of un, you know, unfortunately for him, our D line interior D line is so, you know, stacked, you know, we're, we spend time talking about that position and people don't even talk about Matabike who had incredible film late in the year in 2021. So yeah, that, as compared to Murray, I would definitely say McKenzie would be a guy that probably has a better chance of sticking around. Okay, well, let's let's talk positionally about this, because I think one of the things we want to hit on is not only who who's going to be the starters, and we'll get to that at the very end, since that's that's kind of the uh, the icing on the cake here. But we're, we're going to talk about the some of the positional battles here uh, at, at center, and, and, and in particular who the depth is. At center, obviously, Linderbaum comes in, and there was no bones about it with Harbaugh. He said, basically, he'll be starting mm-hmm. at center. Uh, we'll have a competition at left guard, and we'll talk a little bit about that, of course. Uh, but they have two viable backups, I think, at center. One is McCary, who could help them probably at four <laughs> yeah. positions, I would say, on yeah. the offensive line. Uh, and and Cologne is the other guy. So one question would be, do you find a way to keep both because you need McCary's versatility otherwise? Right, right. Or do you hope a guy like Cologne is still around during the year? Yeah, that's another, that's another really astute point, to be honest with you. Like, Cologne gives you a little bit of that positional vers- versatility too because he did check in and play that sixth offensive lineman typically, you know, to our mm-hmm. right. I'm sure you know, but a lot of listeners may not. But he typically would play, you know, to that right side. Obviously, he doesn't give you the the depth of positional versatility that Macari does. Uh, I think, but correct me if I'm wrong. Macari's played everywhere on the O line except for left guard uh, for extended periods of time. I in I think if you include the preseason, yeah, yeah, he has yeah. actually played yeah. everywhere. So he certainly played a fair amount of left tackle in the preseason. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I I don't think McCary is a is a particularly good fit at either tackle position. Honestly, um, if if he's the guy who gets you yeah. through. If you if you need to have it, I I do think he's the first man up at any of the three interior offensive line positions, and we know how the Ravens love to make one for one offensive mm-hmm. line changes. So a lot of people, it becomes okay. I'll give you the best example in Ravens history because very memorable. Bryant McKinney hadn't started all during the regular season. He came in in the postseason 2012. Took over at left tackle because Orr really hadn't played very well there. Orr moved to right tackle, and Kalechi Assembly right. moved to left guard. Well, they made three For changes right. to do that, and and you know that totally changes your offensive line. And you know what, Ken? It's like that at every level. To be honest with you, I mean, I mm-hmm. we spoke before. You know, I've generally spent all of my time on defense, um, but been a part of those conversations and observations at, at the levels that I've coached. That it's always like that, and so it is rare to have a guy like Makari who, as you said. You could do a one-for-one one change if you if you do. So that would be, uh, I guess, one of the benefits, right, to to not having him as a day one starter is that you wouldn't have to make wholesale changes if someone did go down or if you know, for whatever reason Ronnie Stanley was a. I don't. I don't. I don't guess. I don't guess you become a week-to-week thing if you're in Ronnie Stanley's situation. You're either playing or you're not, right? At this point. Uh, but I th- and I think I think Cologne when he did play, like I actually liked him. Uh, he he kind of reminds me of Macari a little bit. He's a little shorter and stouter, but I don't I don't think that Cologne is like a guy who, you know, has got a long term starting, you know, value to to a good team. You know, and I don't mean to denigrate him at all. He's an NFL offensive lineman. He's a 
he's a bad dude, you know, really. But, you know, being as we have Linderbaum and Macari, who, like you said, can play center, you know, that will be the only way that Cologne sticks around is if we keep Macari as that plug-in guy and then Cologne is essentially the backup center. Definitely possible. Yeah, it's it's conceivable. I mean, he played 135 scored snaps last year, and they were all on the interior. It was just a .70, which is not very good, by the way, at those positions. Probably would have ranked about a D yeah. overall uh, for me. So it's not that I, I really dislike him, but the but part of the problem is he really hasn't played all that well. And you're now entering year three, so your 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 declining option value of the player is going away. One of the things the Ravens want to do is have as value, much potential right. future value at an underslot contract, so to speak, a rookie deal, um, as they possibly can. And so Cologne isn't going to provide you mm-hmm. as much of that. I think he's he's important in the sense that he's the second backup center, and that could easily be the first backup center if McCary is used mm-hmm. elsewhere. So you'd like a player like him to stick on the practice squad, and it very well could be that he's a guy who makes another team not the Ravens because he could, he's a legitimate yeah, backup. Yeah, and like, kind of like Tyree Phillips in some ways, except Tyree Phillips has played a lot more. Um, you know, they know the system at this point. Let's be honest. You mm-hmm. know, they know the system. You know, generally, I think the offensive line calls are going to stay the same. Correct me if I'm wrong. We have the same offensive line coach this year, right? That hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy D. Yeah, so, you know, I think the system is generally going to stay the same in terms of the calls, in terms of the terminology and, and vernacular. So, I, I'm sorry, it's Joe D. I no. said this so fast. Jimmy, so yeah, yeah. Bad. I don't know why I want to I can never say his last name. Because you can't say his last name, or at least I can't. I should say, I, you know, I. No, yeah. Dallas Andrus. Yeah, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a very entertaining guy to watch in camp. I just want to say this while we're talking about offensive line in general. I think he's a very good coach because he's very specific and technical. Most offensive oh, line coaches oh, yeah. are. No doubt. But 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 more it, more so him. And I'll tell you, the, his methodology is he gets right in there and he has kind of the same response after every play is uh, that, oh, great, great, let's mm-hmm. do it again. It's almost like a director mm-hmm. that he con- consistently yeah. wants to cut. Occasionally, somebody's not doing something right. He gets in there, directly shows him, no, you're going this, this with your feet. You need to just to make that one step. Your first step is forward. It's only forward. Yeah, it's just he's very technical with the players and I think very good at, uh, at teaching those things. He also, uh, it's it's hilarious to listen to him because despite the fact that he's an older guy and, and this doesn't always make the case, very relatable. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that he has a, a demeanor that's, I, I've, I've compared him at times to the penguin, you know, it's you know, from Batman. Yeah, it's almost Batman. like listening to right, right. that sort of thing. Yeah, like yeah, Burgess yeah, yeah. Meredith kind of yeah, the, kind of thing. And uh, he's he just he definitely has a demeanor about him, but he's very effective as a coach. And, and you, you really see that uh, in terms of the Ravens' footwork mm-hmm. in particular and how good that's been in recent years. And even though they had some good offensive line coaches with Matsko mm-hmm. in the past, for example, um, they didn't always have the best footwork on the interior, and it really hurt the pulling in particular, yeah. this team. I, I, in my experience, the most entertaining and engaging and fun coaches for me to either coach with or observe, you know, mm-hmm. in college or, you know, usually in the spring, you get to go see colleges. They'll let you come watch any drill you want. And uh, usually it was the O-line coach, the DB coach, or the inside backer coach. And, when, and I'll be specific. It was usually the corner, cor- not the safeties coaches. It was usually the corner the coach of the corners or the inside backer coach or the O-line. For me, that was the guy that I always enjoyed to watch because um, the stress level is very high. A mistake at those positions is noticed immediately by even the the Mm -hmm. casual fan, if you ask me, particularly as you get out in space if you're a corner. 
um, I always had fun, you know, watching those guys again in the spring and, and hope that, you know, I was somewhat entertaining myself if, if you enjoyed listening to F-bombs. <laughs> the, the, we'll talk all camp about um, various coaching methods, but the Ravens have some very technical and entertaining coaches. When they, In the passing game, the T. Martin really lines up on the releases when they have these one-on-one drills and really watches how the, how the uh, receiver is getting mm. off the line of scrimmage. And uh, it's uh, Keith Williams' job to manage the top right. of the route and, and say, you know, you're doing this right away. And, and the best you can ever do under the Keith Williams method is, okay, right. that was okay. Everything, everything else is something that's but wrong. That's a good thing, right? That's so. why we got him because he has such a high standard. He has a high standard of performance in terms of people that he's worked with. So that, that's what we got him for. You know, I, I personally think that we've got a, a great group of coaches. I just did a video on the Steelers talking about their defensive coaches in particular four guys who have a combined 60 years of NFL experience. If you look at a lot of our guys, uh, most of them do have a lot of experience, particularly on the defensive side. I really like, I really like, mm-hmm. you know, the Zach or signing. I like the outside backer coach that we brought in from the dolphins a lot. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, I, I don't want to go too far in this. I think <laughs> the, the big one has the chance to make a big difference for the Ravens is, is yes. or versus Rob oh. Ryan last year, the Rob Ryan thing didn't work mm-hmm. out. And, uh, you know, it's it was it was sad to see, but you could kind of see it not working out in camp. Is that is that Queen wasn't really responding to him, and I, I can understand why. Fund- that would fundamental, so. technical things, pre-snap and post-snap that just weren't happening. You know, and then suddenly, Josh Bynes is in there, and and those things begin to happen. You know, that was noticeable to anyone. So yeah, I agree with you. Can't wait, not just from your heart standpoint for Zach Orr because we saw how special of a player he was. Um, and, but also, you know, from, he's going to improve our players. He's going to improve our defense. Yeah, absolutely. On field coach really. And he and Bynes are not too much different in terms of age either. I mean, they're, they're, uh, a very similar kind of uh, vintage. All right, let's go back Sorry, to, to center here because we said that we would talk about this. No, that's okay. Uh, so uh, Cologne, I think, is kind of on the bubble. If there was one dark horse to maybe go back to center, and it, I got to say it really didn't work in the 2020 preseason, uh, Ben Powers yeah. had a, a brief but disastrous sequence of plays. He was allowed to be snapping the ball, and, and the ball was going all over the place. I don't know if they told him, hey, you take some time. Try right. and learn how to snap the ball better. And, and, but if they if they did... Um, and the Ravens needed a guy to, to go in and play. Uh, he, he could be it. Now, we've got some questions of whether Powers team, is even going right. to make the team. Yeah, but, uh, but I think that if he wanted to improve his chance to be around, that, that might yeah, be a way to I do mean, it. I mean, anytime you're in the, that situation at the point in your career that he is, and he has started games in the NFL, mm-hmm. but there clearly are guys who have been drafted to take his spot. You know, Ben Cleveland, the, the front office, I think, would prefer that Ben Cleveland wins the left guard job. Uh, so you have to create value. You have to expand your value, and I think that you know could be an option for Ben Powers. Uh, unfortunately for him, you know we've got Cologne, and then like you said, Macari has his own experience, which was kind of vast playing center. Um, you know, it's going to be difficult for Ben Powers to make the team, if you ask me. Right, I, I agree, and and you know honestly, last year C C minus year it was a C year. I, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was it wasn't terrible. Um, it's just the, the Ravens have other options yep. and with powers, they're, they're again, playing the option value game where he's a fourth year player. Uh, it was really, I think detrimental to his future as a Ravens player that he earned the escalator, right. uh, because by doing that, you know, it makes it less likely that the Ravens are going to be able to find the money to keep him and the Ravens are tight. 
on, mm-hmm. on money. And uh, for the money, for what you cut powers for, you can, and they can save $2.54 million by doing so, they can basically keep three other right. rookies on the, you call it the 53-man roster, but it's really a 56 or 57-man roster with the games mm-hmm. that they play at the end and getting people into IR. But they can keep those extra players on the roster if they cut power. So, you know, there's a, there's a chance that, uh, that that may be a deciding factor. They've got other restructures and whatnot they can do. It's not like they're down to their last right. dollar available. But it's, it, it's Correct tough. me if I'm wrong. It seems like a no-brainer money-wise. It seems like a no-brainer value-wise, which those two things are, you know, related and dependent mm-hmm. upon each other. And then also just performance-wise, it, it also seemed maybe not as significant or solid of a no-brainer. But uh, Ben Powers, if you ask me, just has not been as consistent, you know, in our run or past concepts to justify, you know, being on the roster over some of the, like you said, some of the rookies that we've got. Even, even two or three of the undrafted free agents, we've got to figure out a way to keep stick keep them around, you know, at other positions. Right. I, 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 you know, I will say in terms of scoring offensive line play, he's very mm-hmm. consistent. And, and this is, here's what's really unusual is there's a lot of game-to-game variation Sorry, of yes. play among NFL offensive linemen. But there is at every position, mm-hmm. so it should be expected that it, that it would be. But one of the things about offensive line play is because you have you know, 60 or 70 at-bats during the right. game, if you want to think about it that way, 70 individual gradable yep. trials, um, that, that you tend to have you know, more you can really look at at those positions. But Powers actually, you know, was very consistent. He just wasn't no. great. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, it's a, he's he's a player I would uh, I would love to see have value, but they have they have guys ready in the wings and they're guys who have more uh, option service time left. So they're, uh, they'd be excited about getting them in the lineup, I think. And I think that'll weigh pretty heavily into the center, into the left guard, uh, choice when we, when yeah, we get low, out of that low ceiling, and I'm not a huge person in terms of grading people mm-hmm. or players in terms of ceiling and floor. Mm-hmm. So again, I feel you know I don't want to denigrate someone, but low ceiling, medium floor. So he's not a high, you know, okay. not a high floor guy, but low ceiling, medium floor. And I and I think compared to Ben Cleveland, you know those those two things are different. You know, Ben, ben Cleveland would be I, a little bit higher ceiling. Um, and probably medium floor as well, even in the film that we saw last year, which was uh, somewhat inconsistent in those last four games. Yeah, they're very inconsistent, I would agree. But the thing about Cleveland I love, and we can just move on and talk about him a little bit yeah, now man. if you want. Um, he, his last game of the year was really terrific. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was something to build off of, uh, you know, that play against the Steelers. He's, a lot of it was against Cam mm-hmm. Hayward that he was facing. So it wasn't a, a, a non-quality mm-hmm. opponent. So... You just like to see a game like that and hope he can build on that. And with regard to athleticism, you know, Cleveland is is treated as if he's a ponderous right. elephant. And the truth of the matter is he's, he's a lot quicker yep. afoot than people give him credit for. He uh, uh, He's a, a quicker player than um, Bozeman was. And Bozeman uh, was uh, one of the most prolific yep. pullers. Yeah, well, we history. were, you know, you have a vast knowledge and, and re- ability to remember um, Ravens history, kind of like um, somebody who, you know, one of the Ravens fans that comments on a lot of videos, Josh Hoffman, like he's got a memory like you in terms of the Ravens, you know, specific plays and situations. But we've always been a right handed football team. You know, it's always been our mm-hmm. left guard. It's the pulling guard, unless we're running QB counter read, you know, in the right guard and left guard are pulling. But in any case, uh, Ben, Ben Cleveland, what I found in those four games was a better pass pro guy than I thought, which I thought was, you know, quite poor. And I thought that 
And then when I watched the film, I was like, no, I was a little bit wrong. He was better than I thought. And I thought he wasn't as um, impactful or run blocker as my mind perceived as well. So, and I think that applies to his ceiling and floor as well. I think that um, he's not as, not as unathletic as we perceived. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a fair point. One of the things I really liked about Cleveland coming out of college, he was my number two guard in that draft. Okay, so I was very high on him, and he obviously was huge. But the but the uh, the thing that I really noticed at Georgia was he processed very well from inside out on pass plays. So what I mean by that, and I've said this several times on the show, but but I mean he's he looks to help the center first when the double team is there, but he also looks to resolve that block into a single team for the center. And then move move right in terms of what yep. responsibilities are. Who's blitzing, uh, and and you know, who else might be stunting through that gap? All the other you know ancillary things that can develop during a play. But then he really looks to help yep. block effectively on the tackle. And our tackles needed last year needed I a thought, lot of help. Blocks. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you explained it in a, in a slightly different way than I had in a film study I did on Ben Cleveland like maybe two months ago. But I think he's got a little bit more high awareness than Powers and maybe even Phillips, to be honest with you, on those specific situations you just mentioned. I did not see him do one of those, like, you know, step, look inside and then someone run through the B-gap and him turn around like, oh, crap, what did I just do? I didn't I, – I saw that happen once, excuse me, to Cleveland in that mm-hmm. last four-game stretch. And I was really – I was really encouraged by that four-game stretch because he didn't play at all for nine weeks, I think, after the Colts game. He had he was out for four weeks, and then he had four weeks where he didn't play a single offensive snap, but he you know clearly was practicing. So I think it was eight or nine weeks he didn't play at all. Yeah, he had, he had you're you're correct. Essentially, he had zero total graded snaps between week six right. and week fourteen. And you know he can he, if he's in for any snaps where there's it's not a penalty a kneel or a spike or whatever it would have been graded. He had four snaps against Indianapolis. And then he uh, did not come back again until Green Bay. Now, one of the things that we thought we noticed, um, and I'll be honest with you, in in some of this explanation, I'm stretching myself a little bit. I have a guy that played for us that played a pretty high-level college football, and he went and looked at some of the film, and he noticed a really, really bad habit that Ben Cleveland has, whereby on pass pro, you know, sometimes he opens up his right arm, and and instead of, you know, being inside per se, he's like almost like hugging the guy with just his right arm. Not as it's not with mm-hmm. the left arm. It's now with the outside arm. Cause he's the left guarder again. And, uh, but quizzically um, ESPN has him lifted, listed as the backup right guard. So, but in any case um, it, <laughs> it showed up in pass pro often. And then we even noticed that as we got later in the, in the season, it showed up the last two games on run plays as well. And um, it was something that, uh, this player who's younger than me um, indicate he watched all the film and he said, he said, it's something that I've seen people lose the ability to get on the field because of, and it's a habit. And, and what he related it to was he's a big, strong guy and he could certainly, he could get away with that against certain people, but there's certain guys that he could not. But like you said, I thought he played really well those last two games of the season. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. That was, that was against the Rams and that was, yeah, the Rams. I didn't think he played as well, but the but the definitely the Steelers. It, it, it wasn't a bad four game stretch by any by any means. He had three out of four good games. He had in three there, so. pass pro opportunities against Donald that he did not lose on. Now he did get picked mm-hmm. twice, where they, 
you know, the Rams ran a really intricate, neat stunt where the nose tackle didn't rush, basically stood up. And then Donald crossed behind the center, picked Cleveland, and Cleveland had no awareness of it, where a guy like Zeitler or even Macari or other guys who've got that experience at the NFL level, something in their brain would trigger, okay, something's happening here that looks different based upon what my guy's doing. And that was just too slow for Cleveland because it was probably the first time he'd seen it happen that way. And if you remember it, Ben Cleveland's up getting decleated from essentially a blind shot by Aaron Donald. And then Ben Cleveland's guy gets the sack. Uh, he initially lined up in the B gap. But anyway, my point is, I think there's some things. It was great to get him those four games because he got experience and the Ravens got to see those things show up on film and now work on them in the off season. Yeah. That's, that's a, it's a very good point about the, about the getting too close. That's something that uh, I think they can easily work on, work on with him technically. Uh, you know, that almost sounds to me like a right guard characteristic mm-hmm. to keep one arm close because right handed running right. game you know, that right guard is responsible for opening the front gate and torquing right, that player it. as you, you want to use yep. it as a verb. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it, it, to use that, you often want to have that uneven arm-like right. situation going on. But uh, with him at, at left guard in particular, it makes sense if if he can keep other players at uh, a good distance, use his punch. I mean, the guy has mm-hmm. got to have a thunderous punch with his kind of size. Yep. And uh, you know, I don't think we've really seen that. No, yet. I agree. Yeah. And and the thing that we noticed in watching the film, and we intentionally took like two weeks before we started to finalize um, evaluations, because we were like, okay, we thought we saw, we thought we were going to see a dominant run blocker and a guy who was really poor at pass pro. And as I said before, that was not the case. There wasn't that much of a differential. Number one, number two, when he had combo blocks. He was able to stay on and sustain the block because he had help. But when he was operating by himself generally in terms of like a down block or something like that, that was when he started to lose on that like third step. And and I have tried to on my channel explain it in a way that a lesser athletic guy on his first or second step, that's coached. You know, your first or second step is coached Mm -hmm. and you can sustain your block for that amount of time against a superior athlete who's bigger, faster, stronger, or two of those three. It's more difficult to sustain your block on that third or fourth step because now it's not as much about technique. It is about technique, but it's, it's more so in some ways about the explosiveness of the move that you can't recreate in practice. And Ben Cleveland one-on-one had some trouble sustaining his blocks on the third and fourth step. Versus combo blocks, which I guess that could lend some credence to if we work to his own system, he's going to be doing more combo blocking. So, you know, be that as it may, I, I think he's the guy the Ravens want to win the job. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, third round draft pick, right? Uh, a third round draft yeah. pick. Yep. And they gave him that look at the end of the season, I think, specifically to to think to themselves, okay, how are we here? If Ben Cleveland's the guy at left guard and we got Zeitler at right guard, then we're good. We don't have to look at guard in the draft at all. I think that's that was the point, if you ask me, of of that you know time period. And uh, to your point earlier that you said about Ben Powers, like if you, if you get rid of him and it clears up two point five million, and Ben Cleveland can play, I mean there there's no reason to keep Ben Powers around at that point. Right, I, I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. They, he's, these are not the only two. So let's keep let's keep moving on since we uh, are spending a lot of time on a very important player, obviously. But also at left guard, uh, you know, Phillips has not been talked about, and I think he's in the competition there. To me, uh, his length makes him an excellent candidate to be the backup right guard. Yeah. 
uh, you know, the, the, a guy who would train there the whole time. Uh, but you got to be certain that Cleveland's going to be there. One of the things that's, that will keep Ben Powers around is if the Ravens' depth doesn't hold up for any reason again this year, uh, particularly in camp. So if they lost somebody in camp and they know he's going to be gone, whether it's half a season or the whole thing, um, you know, they, they, they pretty much are forced into their decision. Yeah, Phillips seems like a guy the coaching staff trusts. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they that, not saying that they shouldn't, uh, but they've they've ran him out there at multiple positions. The further you move away from the football, either horizontally or vertically, the more athletic you have to be. And Phillips at tackle mm-hmm. was, you know, clearly very very limited offensive, um, uh, athletically. Excuse me. I think at guard, he's he's done a decent job at times. Uh, you have the you have the grading system more than I do, and I I was unable to do a film study on Tyree Phillips this offseason. I would like to because, as you said, I think he's a guy that has a real good chance to make the roster, maybe a lower ceiling than Ben Cleveland, you know, to me, but I think probably a better player than Ben Powers in some ways. So Phillips had only 31 total snaps at guard this year. 29 of them came in week one, which by the way, that was one of the really things that that held him back was he got hurt. The Ravens then had the you know injury to Ronnie Stanley become apparent right. to us, although he he played most of that game, yeah. if not all of it. And then uh, you know all of a sudden they're really down two tackles and not one because, or at least yeah. we thought so at the time. I would agree with you though that I, I I haven't seen enough from Phillips at tackle right now, even though you know some things are right about arm length and whatnot. It's it, he's he's just not quick enough to uh, deal with a, a speed rusher. And he doesn't really use his length as well as I would like on the outside either. He should be a guy who should be able to win a lot of battles to the back pylon yeah. of the pocket. You know, to get that guy to take too circuitous a route so that he has to then go all the way to 6, 6 a.m. before he can, or 6 p.m., whichever it is, 6 o'clock, before he can get back towards, towards racing into the pocket. Ricky Wagner yeah. was excellent at that. Um, and and uh, unfortunately, Phillips just isn't mm-hmm. that guy. The, ch- the checks... Are, are somewhat different at tackle than they are at guard. You know, that you would think that it's the same. it is conceptually the same, but the, the checks are, are somewhat different. And I, he just didn't look comfortable there. I mean, clearly in the Miami game, he played a lot of right tackles. So, and we had a lot of free rushers from that side. I'm not talking about the free rushers. There were two run plays uh, where we tried to, he tried, he had to reach the D end and uh, the, where he was by himself trying to reach him and it was just not possible. And, and don't get me wrong that Miami had a good defense, but I reflect back on uh, week two when Macari was healthy. Cause I maintained that Macari was not healthy all of last year. Um, I, I believe he had an ankle injury or a knee, but I could be wrong. Week two, he reached blocked Chris Jones four times. So when Jones was playing five technique, he was able to reach him. Chris Jones, a monster. So my point in comparing those two in terms of what they're able to do at tackle Tyree Phillips was just athletically not there. Uh, the steps were not there. Guard, he can kind of be hidden a little bit more. I do not think he's a starting guard on a super high-level NFL team You know, at this point in 2022. I like him because the coaching staff likes him. They clearly trust him. Um, I think he makes the team, but I'm not sure that he starts, like you said. So do you take the chance on trying to make him a specialist mm-hmm. this year? Because I, you know, they've got guys who can right. nominally fill in a tackle. We don't really know who they are anymore. Moses, mm-hmm. I guess we do. But but James, we certainly mm-hmm. don't. I, I don't honestly believe we can be sure that McCary will jump in and do a, a, a good enough job at right tackle if we're in the playoff uh, hunt and whatnot. But he's probably the next mm-hmm. best choice. 
Uh, and we obviously we don't know who James is at all. He's been out of the game for so long. It's going to be one of the interesting things in preseason to find that out. But getting back to Phillips, does this mean you say, okay, look, we're, we're going to stop messing around. We're going to give yes. you one position. And it's Absolutely. not even, it's not going to be left guard. It's going to be right guard because we want you, Kevin Zeitler might or might not be here next year. His contract kind of looks like a three to play two. That's deal. what I thought too. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I would agree that would either pick one, you know, pick one. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, I think, and, and then that could mean that, you know, a guy like Ben Powers or, you know, does stick around, but um, I think there's a trickle down effect in some ways in terms of who stays on the roster based on decisions like that you just described. You know, there's not a trickle down um, effect in terms of who replaces who on the field. If Makari is the sixth, is the quote, you know, sixth guy initially, then it's just one for one as you described. So two great ways to put it. All right. Uh, who else we got to talk about at left guard? We we talked a little bit about Powers. I think we some about Phillips, some about Cleveland. McCary maybe in the mix for the starting role again. I I have the problem with the one for one change. And the the other subtle factor here is they've signed McCary. They've got a they've got a sunk cost for three years involved with him, uh, or sunk cost in his contract. Not not it doesn't have to be the entire three years. But that doesn't mean that they they're still taking a loss to not find out right. what they have in these younger players. And so McCary could be a one for one replacement for all three years. In fact, if he were bubble wrapped for three years, almost never got on the field, it would probably be a good thing for the yeah, Raiders because, because because it would mean their starters are playing well. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like him. You know, that's a good way to put it. I like him. I would like, you know, I root for a guy like him. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was undrafted, right? Yep, and uh, seems to have a really positive, you know, aura about him when he plays. Um, also, stays on people, and con- I've saw, saw, saw two plays from 2020 against the Steelers where he played right guard and um, comboed three guys, <laughs> worked first level to second level, and then had the awareness to understand where the ball was going probably because his eyes saw a safety try to scrape over the top and he worked to the safety and allowed a cutback at the third level. I saw that happen twice in that game. And I was really, really surprised because he was going against Stefan, Stefan to it or Steven to it. How the guy who just retired for mm-hmm. good Stephon, player, yeah. 91. Um, so I really, I think highly of Macari. I was shocked at some of the things he did last year at right tackle. Yeah, it was, it was, he was surprisingly good. And, uh, and overall CC plus at right tackle for me, uh, he had some great games. He also had some not so great games. Uh, I am, I have long-term concerns about whether or not he's the guy there. I think if the, if the Ravens want to get back to having a really consistently excellent run game, they need, they need a more dominant player there. Moses might be the guy or it might be somebody else. Might be Falele. Yep. I mean, who's who's really the guy on the outside? But a guy who can make that down block as they did in 2019 so consistently with Orlando Brown, hit the scraping linebacker at level two and just create a, a huge opening there yeah. for uh, whoever's Correct running. Me if I'm wrong, Macari's about six four, three oh five, three ten. Moses is six six. At one point in time, Moses was like three thirty, three thirty five. I think he's down to like three twenty now. Uh, but there's definitely a, a size difference, an arm length difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so based on film, yeah, there's a there's a gap between those two guys at right tackle. If we get the Morgan Moses that that I've seen on film, you know. Uh, but to your point about Makari, I thought he was injured, and I thought he missed a game or two last year. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And then when he returned, he did not look healthy to me. So I I was really impressed with his film early in the year. Um, I don't pay attention to the grades at all. 
overall for the season because mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to look at the games and and I have trouble sometimes remembering like hey this guy got hurt in week five and therefore that's why he didn't play well in week six and or seven but I I thought he played really well early in the year and that shocked me I did not expect him to play so well against Chris Jones yeah, yeah that that's exactly how I have it scored as well and I'll, I'll I'll tell you I'll give you the grades week by week how about that Kansas City week two an a then a D against Detroit C minus against Denver a against Indianapolis mm. again uh that that line was very tired by the way that yes. Indianapolis line with the Ravens on the field for all those plays Last four drives of the game, Indianapolis did not get the Ravens to third down even once. Uh, The L.A. Chargers, he had a B. Cincinnati had an A. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, well, he could be the guy the rest of the season. And then a D against Chicago, A against Cleveland again, and then CCDC to end end the uh, year. So he missed four games. After starting in week two, he missed four total games. Minnesota-Miami didn't play, and they didn't play again Green Bay and Cincinnati. So uh, definitely very pleasant surprise to have a player who could play at a, at a solid level yeah. for so long and i think that's what he was he was a 0.72 at tackle for me which is right in the middle of the c range after adjustment uh a, a, a solid player not a spectacular player but but certainly a player you're very excited to have who's better than the yeah. replacement level and significant the thing so. that surprised me um when i did what well, because I, I i i gathered about 60 plays from 2021 and I never did complete the film study to be honest with you. There's just so much that I like to do uh, on run plays to him in terms of trying to reach someone on a zone or stretch concept. I thought he was really good on run plays away when he played right guard in 2020. I was impressed like on, on run plays away from him. I was really impressed this past year. However, at when he was at right tackle on run plays away from him, I thought he was really bad. Like I thought, I mm-hmm. for some I don't know what the difference was there, you know, in terms of how far he had to go in terms of alignment or what the call was, but it was just one thing that I noticed on run plays away from him when he had to maybe scoop somebody who was inside the B gap, maybe a three or a four eye. He just it wasn't happening with as much you know consistency as it did when he was playing right guard and he had to scoop a nose who was inside of. Hey, it's it. It's traditionally it's much easier for the guard to not go blockless on a backside right. of a run play than it is for the tackle. Tackles have, in in my history of scoring this, extremely high missed tackle missed sorry missed block rates, and a lot of that is attributable to the backside right. of run plays. So I, I don't I don't have a uh, a real issue with that. I, I guess I would expect to see that. And and part of my question for you would be when you looked at those plays, did you see he was blocking somebody with mm-hmm. a reach? blocking somebody with a cut or was he how, how what sort of blocks did he did he was he able to uh uh deliver a guard it was almost like he was quicker than the guys he was trying to overtake you know and i call it a scoop on the backside you know not a reach reach is okay. the front side but anyway for you know that's what we call it but he was able to do that whether it was a cut you know getting across getting his backside shoulder across the front side knee or front side thigh but Mm-hmm. Or or just taking him over, but I didn't think we we ran a ton of zone away from the right side. You know, to our left last year we did some in 2020, especially against the Steelers. We ran a lot of stretch to our left in 2020 with Gus. But last year it was it was almost like when he was trying to overtake a three or overtake a four eye, he was getting overpowered, which I didn't see happen. You know when he was at guard, so it was hmm. it was interesting to me. But then again, maybe those plays I'm remembering are later in the year, which you know again I profess that he was 
he was not operating at a hundred percent. I would be, I would be shocked if he starts for us next year with the quality of guys we have, unless like you said early in the show, Ronnie Stanley's, you know, not able to go. Right. Now it would be, it, that'd be upsetting. Certainly if, uh, if that's, if that's the way that turns out, but McCary could, he could pop up anywhere and he's, He's kind of the Joe Orsalak of this offensive line. Is just he ends up playing a key role for you, even though you you project him as a bench player every year, you know, kind of thing. And uh, you know, it, it won't surprise me at all if he shows up somewhere. And, uh, by the way, I think your your comment about the injury really meshes with the grading I saw. Is that he was definitely a better player early in the year. I have to go back and think myself about how he was in terms of how he's hurt, but that could explain some of the reduction in quality of play as it's as an awesome reference, dude. Like, except the problem is you can't use that reference with a, with the younger group with people who are in the select. <laughs> I'm right there at that, at that line, dude. So I get it much better player than, than, Oh, people wouldn't even yeah. remember a guy like him. Actually, that's a great comparison for McCarty because there's a lot of people who, well, if it weren't for the snap in the Buffalo game in 2020, they would never remember Patrick McCarty's name. And there's thousands of guys like that who, you know, can plug in and play at different spots. And I think he's a really quality, quality sixth guy at a, on a good NFL team. You can tell me whether you agree or disagree. As a sixth guy, I think he's a really good one. Yeah, versatility as a six guy is yeah. terrific in terms of the one for one. It just has a value that I can't even even go. You know, I can't even really put down appropriately. I, I, it was an interesting choice to go with him as opposed to Bozeman, but I think they probably were in contact with mm-hmm. both, and they probably you know said, "Hey, Bose, here's the best we can do." And my guess is they offered him very yep. similar something. Might have even been more money than McCarry got. Because I cor- correct me if I'm wrong, I thought they did offer Bozeman first during the season last year, and he turned it down. I I, I never heard anything concrete, and even if I heard something, I wouldn't necessarily yeah. trust it. So, but but it, but it it makes sense that they would offer Bozeman first anyway, because he's the one who's playing. He's played left guard and he's played yeah. center. You know, you probably have some versatility gains from that. There were things that didn't like about his game, and I think he never really got the snaps. Mm-hmm. Right on, uh, it, you know, the year before it was a lot of snaps going wild and high and, and yeah. uh, some left, some right as well. But he also started being more accurate, but delivering the ball kind of slower. And it had a, a kind of a breaking pitch kind of a quality about it where Jackson was kind of having to reach down yeah. to his knees to get the football. Well, that's that's time where he's not acquiring the field. Yes. That's that's very yep. bad. And so hopefully Linderbaum will give oh, them man. what they need there. And, uh, and no and doubt, I am, I am not surprised that we got it because of the Kirk Ferenz connection. Um, you know, everybody talks about the Yonda connection. Yonda only played one year at mm-hmm. Iowa. It's not, you know, yeah, yeah, he only played tackle. one year. He played two years of community college, you know, not to discount the connection there, but it's a way stronger connection with Kirk Ferenz and, and Ozzy Kirk Ferenz coached with Belichick in Cincinnati, excuse me, in Cleveland came to Baltimore with Ozzy Newsom. So knows Ozzy really well. If we drafted Linderbaum, it's because Kirk Ferenc put his stamp on him. And and another point about Linderbaum, not towards you, but towards other people who have criticized him. Um, at one point in 2020, there were 37 active football players in the NFL from the University of Iowa. Nine of them were offensive linemen. Now, they've also got a significant amount of DBs in the NFL. Geno Stone mm-hmm. is one of them. 
And of course, we have Christian Welch, obviously, who's an inside linebacker. So my point is, this is what Kirk Ferentz does, puts people in the NFL. And um, and he's got a lineage. Two of his sons coach with Belichick, won Super Bowls. I have the – me, personally, I'll go ahead out, put it out there. I have the highest expectation for Tyler Linderbaum of any of our offensive linemen to improve upon what we saw last year. And that includes Ronnie Stanley improving over our left tackle situation, which I know sounds inflammatory. I think Linderbaum is going to be the biggest improvement for us that we've seen in a long time. And, it, and I'm not, and I'm not afraid to say it on, you know, on your show. Okay. Well, that's, it's, it's a, it's a good prediction. And, and in, in some sense, I hope you're right, but it, now I, I want the left tackle situation yeah, yeah, to improve yeah. much more. It's yeah, much yeah, more yeah. important. So, <laughs> so I, what I, I like about Linderbaum, uh, obviously, you know, my, my comments about the arm length are, are well known mm-hmm. and, and the, the, Similarity to Garrett Bradbury is so striking in terms of who he is. Um, you know, I think you have to be concerned about the translatability of that to the NFL level. But I don't mm-hmm. want to focus on that because people know my opinion on that. And, and I didn't. So uh, yeah, I didn't. You you weren't mm-hmm. aware of it. Okay. So so I, I, I you know I'm I'm it, it is a significant cause for concern for me. But I'll I'll, I'll say this otherwise is that. The Ravens will benefit interior on the interior from having a variety yes. of players. Zeitler uh, it gives them a, 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 a you know a, a modest yes. amount of everything, um, but he's not as quick as Linderbaum is. I think Linderbaum is going to help them resolve double teams quicker. That's and of course, they're, they're, a lot of the run game is uh, predicated on one or even two double teams on the interior line uh, with that motioning mm-hmm. player and you know guard center yep. either way. And then the motioning player taking up half of another double team on a lot of run plays. And I think he will help resolve those quickly and get people to level two. And a lot of the yes. time it's going to be him. So, but other times he's going to be the guy giving the hip check to that guard and having yeah, him to- go to level Totally two. agree. And I had, you know, like we talked about, you know, a couple of days ago, I developed some notes and that he, what you just said is almost exactly what I had written. Look, are there, and, and so I won't, you know, co-sign, uh, co-sign it other than that. I won't repeat it. But are there going to be times where he might struggle with a, a 330 or 350 pound nose tackle, mm-hmm. like a Vince Wilfork? Yeah, of course. Of course. Guess what? Other centers do too. You know, it's, it's, it's not like, it's not, if not like if you got a Vince Wilfork in there, you know, that they're not comboing him as you just talked about with the play side guard for every center in the NFL. The, the opposite side of that is though, if we do run more zone or stretch, Tyler Linderbaum's going to reach that guy every time. He is. Now, it's, is, is that guy going to be strong enough to, you know, to run him down the line and play that? I call it a lag technique or, or you know, backdoor technique on the stretch. Yeah, of course, he could play the backside A and let the linebacker play the frontside A. But I think Tyler Linderbaum gives us the ability to, uh, how do I say this, negate, you know, some of those things by running some zone and some stretch schemes because he has the advantage now. Because he's quicker in that short. It's not even debatable how much quicker he is than some of those guys. I love the context. I mean, all of the other guys really look like elephants compared to Linderbaum in terms of this. This is one of the reasons I I like him. I'm still not convinced on the on the value of the pick at 25, but but I, I like him in the sense that I think his his quickness and his ability to resolve things will show up there, but it also show up anytime he moves to mm-hmm. level two. One thing I'm really going to be looking for early on is to see how readable his blocks are right. to the running back. Now, a good running back can do a good job with anything, but but a, a great center will get out into level two a lot, and they'll 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 make a really readable block yes. for their running back. I had a uh, 
I had a friend who's a big zone guy, offensive coach. He made a point. He said, if Linderbaum was drafted by the Eagles, how good do you think he would be in the Eagles system, which they run a lot of zone and a lot of stretch stuff? And I said, I don't know. What's your point? He said, he'd be really, really effing good, you know, once Kelsey gets out of there, clearly. You know, then I thought, I thought, wow, that's an interesting point. And then his follow-up point to that was, so having said that to you, don't you think the Ravens are going to move to some more zone and stretch stuff, recognizing what they're, what they have there? And I was like, okay, yeah, great point. You know, I, I can see that thought process. Having said that, there's no reason why we can't run our gap schemes. Like you, you and I talked about pre-show, pre-show, you know, he's back blocking on a nose tackle on a gap scheme. So the guard can pull like, he can execute that. There's no reason why he can't. You know, sure. It's the simplest block. Yeah. They they run a lot yeah. of counter. Uh, and you know, then he has to take usually a very flat yeah. angle on his block to, to the other side. I mean, it's honestly, I think that could make it easier yes. for him to negate length. Yes. I mean, it's it's the simplest thing, like for your center. Now, you know, we would if and and I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, or maybe it was when we talked pre-show. You want to you want to combine gap and zone schemes because you don't want some like yeah, for example yeah. i will be honest with you three or four times in my career as a coach we watched the team play and we were like oh they're all zone schemes so the center's always stepping to the play so guess who my inside linebackers read we read the center and we were attacking mm-hmm. at angles and attacking and attacking and now when they ran counter we got hit hard <laughs> you know but we we took something mm-hmm. away initially and, and then uh, the opposite, you know, is true for a gap scheme. The, no, the, the center is stepping away from the play. So we've read the center him, that week, set, let him step away, and we feel opposite. And, and so to combine those two systems, sometimes having the center step to the play, sometimes having him step away from the play is the best system, which you, I think it was pre-show, you know, you alluded to earlier. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really important point. I mean, that's it's it's. I, I I'll only say this is that the Ravens depend so heavily on the run, and they need to comp- they they need to threaten all the way across horizontally if they're going to be successful in the run game, and that that means you really need to have all the tools in your box. You can't just have a zone system or a gap system or you or a counter is you know thirty percent of your run place or whatever. It needs yes. to be everything, and Roman is very good about having that kind of a layered system. Uh, I don't think Linderpalm, this is one of the good things about him. I don't think he'll have any problem picking up the system. I think he's run some complex systems. Looking at some Iowa film last year, did a show. The Iowa offensive line, not very good. I mean, it, it just it wasn't up to their normal standards. And the guys around him were making mistakes. And he was sometimes paying the price for that, but he was doing the best he could to 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 bail out what was really a pretty, uh, you know, below Iowa standards yeah. offensive line, which means they're probably average. Because yeah, they uh, got pretty high standards there. I mean, he, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. He moved, Ferenz moved to Iowa directly from the Ravens, like 98, something like that. And they went through a period of rebuild. And then they were super high level, like 2004 to 2010 or 11, something like that. Two defensive coaches leave and the program, you know, kind of takes a step back, but they've been top 25. And I don't know, you know, yep. not you, but other people, <laughs> you know, see a top 20 perennial top 25 team, like, oh, they're not a good team. What, you know, what's your, what's your standard, you know, for a good team if they're top 25. Yeah. But yeah, no, totally agree. Linderbaum almost reminded me of Kyle Hamilton in some ways, because to your point about being surrounded by guys who made mistakes, I saw the same thing in the Kyle Hamilton film. You know, maybe not consistently. I'm talking about six or eight times over a five-game stretch where I saw guys making mistakes next to, next to him. 
Um, and then him either having to, you know, try to make a tackle that's now a 20 yard gain. Saw the same thing out of Kyle Fuller, to be honest with you, with the Broncos. But in any case. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to continue on with this and, and, and I'm going to tie it up with with one more scheme thing that I think Linderbaum adds for them is is the ability to get into level two and level three should help along with Tyler Beatty, be a nice complimentary pair for a potential yes. screen game for the Ravens. It's just something extra, an extra dimension for their offense. And the, this, the set of lunging elephants that the yes. Ravens have in level two, very, very effective at level one in terms of getting the job done, yep. a, a man up on, on their guys, and, and incredibly ineffective and lungy in yep. level two. And Linderbaum, if he gives them one decent block there and they get one other from, say, a tight end or a wide receiver who can maintain his feet in level two, that's that's a big thing for me is just be able to block a cornerback and just be able to do it while maintaining your feet, which is it is a lot to ask. Just do those two things. But but Miles Boykin could do it. Uh, you know, he could bring that to the field. I think, you know. Kolar and Likely and and Andrews uh, all can do some of that. And and uh, uh, hopefully that gives the Ravens what they need to get that screen game energized in some way, because Beatty can certainly make Man, people to- miss. totally agree. You know, we have had, even when we've had a good offensive line, we weren't running screens a lot. It's a missing element to our offense. That 2020, we ran three screen plays in the last like five games of the season, almost like Hey, let's let's do this against these bad teams. You know, we played Jacksonville, we played the Giants, we played a bad <laughs> Bengals team in 2020. Joe Burrow was out for the season at that point, so it was almost like let's get these plays on film, show people that we can throw screens. It's like, no, you need to do that from day one. One of the ways you help any quarterback is you get them some of those easy completions. I, I think that some of the fans' complaints about us not throwing screens may have been due to what you just said, the offensive lineman that we had to deploy. And now Linderbaum, you know, um, would be a great choice to do that. Zeitler's capable. Like Mm -hmm. you said earlier, Zeitler can do everything well. Healthy Ronnie Stanley is quick enough. Morgan Moses Moses is not an unathletic 6'6 guy at all. So athletically, our O-line has clearly got better. You're, you're, You're touching on something there that I agree with. I, I don't want to project too much from any of the other guys because, frankly, I still think uh, at left guard, we don't really have anybody who I would consider a, a good screen blocker. At, at right guard, I think Zeitler is an average guy. But at this point in his career, uh, I'm more worried about him being illegally downfield than I am about him really making a great non-lungy screen block. I, I think it really comes down to Stanley and Linderbaum. They're the two guys. If Stanley is healthy and, and the player he was... Uh, he can do anything athletically in terms of getting down the field and making good blocks. And um, he's he's shown up on some of these plays. And they only come along a couple of times yeah. a season where you can block three guys on the same play. But he's yeah. shown up on those uh, in terms of uh, of doing that. I've, I, I love watching him play. I hope he's healthy. Let's get back to, to, to the interior offensive line, though. So I, I think we talked about this, and I think I know the answer. But who for you is the pivotal player? on the interior offensive line. For I think season. it depends on, you know, people's perspective. Uh, for me personally, I would say Linderbaum because I think he's going to be really good. And if he's not, let's do it this way. If he's not really good, then we do have a cap. It's, you know, we have a cap somewhere. Then then we haven't, you know, we haven't improved over the center play that we've had in the last two or three years. Some people would say it's left guard though, because that would be our, you know, as you kind of talked about with the screen situation, you know, we're, we're somewhat limited there, no matter who wins the job between Cleveland and Phillips. So me personally, I'll take Linderbaum. I'll say center. I think you have a different opinion though. Yeah. 
No, I'm going to I'm going to stick with you on this one also gotcha. because I think the variation in play on Linderbaum is very yes. high. And if if he's good, it means he has adapted the way he did effectively in college to the arm length constraints and he's overcome them. And if the other thing that I think, you know, really stands to do is he's playing with I think good offensive linemen, but more importantly, big offensive linemen on both sides of him who he, his skills yes. mesh very well with. And and he could he could if if it works out it could really work out if it doesn't work out it could look terrible uh, if uh, if he's you know one of the things that'll happen is if it doesn't work out for arm length reasons they're going to find ways to isolate him just the way you find ways to find the inside linebacker who can't cover yeah. in when you're throwing against I like him. in some some people have likened you know in in zone and stretch systems the combo blocking but you know one of the guys is like a point guard and the other guy's a power forward. You know, and and mm-hmm. so I've seen, I understand that I get it. That wasn't my reference. The one thing I do think is that Linderbaum could help us. And you were you were moving toward this point earlier. He could help us be less predictable. And, and let's be mm-hmm. honest, that has been one of the biggest things. If you really pay attention, not you, but but other people, if you really pay attention to our offense, even going back to 2019, there were certain situations we line up in this formation. It's this play, and if and if it isn't this play which is our 80% play in that situation, it's this second play. You give any NFL athlete, any professional athlete, these two situate, these two things, it's either this or this, and they're going to stop probably both of them. We have been too predictable. And I think some cases we were limited by some of the guys we had on the field, um, offensive line being one of them. I don't think we'll be limited by what we could do with Linderbaum. I think actually that tree of what we can do will be expanded. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, I guess who makes the roster is the next question. So are, are the are the Ravens going to keep ten offensive linemen this year? Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously depth does not typically hold up. So that's one of the things that usually makes roster decisions easy, and unfortunately makes roster decisions easy. Sometimes depth does hold up. It did a couple of years ago when they were able to trade the left guard Bredesen. Another another time when they were able to trade uh, Nigel Warrior and ended yep. up regretting it. Uh, but it's, sometimes it does hold up, but, but for this, for this, uh, year coming up, would you expect 10 or nine offensive linemen to make the 50? Mm, I don't, I don't know personally. I think that, I think our DB situation is going to kind of determine some of those things. Uh, meaning who's healthy for us, Peters, Humphrey, you know, whoever else Mm -hmm. I, I could be wrong, but I think that's going to determine that's going to – the rest of the roster in terms of the 53, that's what you're asking, right? I think right. the rest of that is going to flow from that situation. Or I guess another way to look at it would be start with the offensive line and then everything else flow from that. Because you, you certainly can't operate with too few defensive backs or too few offensive linemen. And th- those seem to be the two situations that occur the most often in the NFL to me, where, whereby your depth is totally destroyed at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's why I say you can't have enough corners, obviously, is one of the things that comes up. But you usually can go to the street and and not go down too far at inside linebacker. And we've seen the Ravens do that. Uh, Defensive line, even, they've had some success finding players. One of the things that I always notice in the roster building shows we do is that the Ravens are absolutely staunch in using three specialists, 25 offense and 25 Mm -hmm. defense. So I think the place which will suffer if they want to carry more cornerbacks is maybe defensive line. 
is they'll say, or inside linebacker maybe. But uh, but I kind of don't believe the offensive line is going to pay that price. And one of the other things about that is that the offensive line has the roster requirement situation of having to have eight active on game day. So because of that, you always need nine to make eight, but you usually want ten to make eight. If you can, right. Yeah. And uh, another... Injuries happen, and it's harder to replace. Another one, and you guys, have, I'm sure, have done this discussion, and it's difficult not to. Is, is look, let's be honest. Like, Ricard limits. Ricard does not open up possibilities for us in terms of yeah. who to keep. You know, because he's a fullback who sometimes, occasionally, plays tight end. If uh, pre-draft, I, you know, I loved uh, Jeremy Ruckert. A guy who could block, a guy who was a receiver threat, but not as big as Isaiah Likely and Kohler. So I, I am getting to the point. Hopefully, um, I did. I don't think that Ricard opens up more possibilities for us at this point because he is a fullback, and that's it. Most teams, if you ask me, are getting away with an H back, you know, who's a tight end and can play fullback some. Uh, I look at the Browns. You know, they they use a lot of two and three tight end looks, and those guys step back and play fullback some. So that to me, that's the one that kind of limits us, you know, and whereby makes it difficult for us to keep. You know, how many more, how many tight ends do we keep on the fifty three? Because we are definitely keeping Ricard. You know, right? And I think well, it's, that's I think where where some of the rubber is going to meet the road here. Maybe one less wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Ravens aren't a receiver-heavy team. Maybe they keep five receivers. Uh, if they keep five receivers, they can keep three running backs plus Ricard would be nine. They might keep four tight ends, make it 13. Uh, Jackson and another QB makes it 15 and then 10 offensive linemen. That would do it. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the way it will go. And and I, I, there's a lot of people be screaming if the Ravens only keep five wide receivers. But I think that's probably, if I had to guess, is the most likely way it lays out. Because I think some of their tight ends really are yes. flex players who are uh, you know wide receivers. Yep. And it seems to me, I, I kind of was speaking about it a moment ago, a lot of the rest of the NFL, their tight ends are, are tight ends slash fullbacks. Don't get me wrong, those mm-hmm. guys do step out and play the slot some. Kohler and Likely are not tight end slash fullbacks. They are tight end right. slash receiver or tight end 50. We're wide receiver 50. Right. They're, they're um, not Kolar because Kolar definitely you want it in line, whether he's on the end of the line and kind of that Todd Heap position where he's leaning forward mm-hmm. rather than, you know, being equal with the the, the tackle. He's actually forward yeah. of the tackle. Uh, or whether he's flexed, you, you pretty much want him – uh, on the line of scrimmage, looking forward, looking to run a route. Uh, likely played a lot as a move tight end at Coastal Carolina. He He's a guy who, uh, you know, they're, they're not talking about it. They're really talking about it and they're showing, you know, likely yep. as a receiver was the big hit of OTAs. Uh, but but it's hard to, uh, I, I, I think the Ravens are going to have to have yes. other guys uh, who can do it. And the thing I would see, I expect from Likely and Kolar is that each of them takes a few snaps in the backfield the way that Hayden yep. Hurst did. Uh, and that that uh, your two big earth movers are, are going to continue to be Ricard yep. and Boyle, and they really can't afford to lose either of those two. If they want to be like the running game, like the 49ers have, where they have seven bigs on the field whenever mm-hmm. they want to, uh, you know, they really have to have both yeah, of those man. guys. I, I like, don't get me wrong, I like Ricard. I just, I was one of those people who recognized the contribution he had. And, and let's be honest, like he's an absolute unicorn, someone who played in the NFL mm-hmm. on the defensive 
side of the ball, not, not, you know, a huge amount, but a significant an, an, enough, you know, he has a forced mm-hmm. fumble that Ty Spouser took to the house against the Bengals in 2020. So like he will be his, as a grandparent, he'll be able to say, Hey, look, I made plays in the NFL on the offensive and the defensive side. How many human beings in the history of the NFL can say that having said that, like me personally, I was not someone who advocated for keeping him. Uh, I will, I wanted us to go the tight end slash fullback route. You know, like a, like a Jeremy Ruckert or something, someone like that who maybe maybe a little bit better player. But in any case, man, it's going to be tough when they make that fit, that, that decision on the fifty three, um, and it's going to impact the offensive lineman as a trickle down effect. Either either from the DB starting with the DBs, you know, working you know towards the offense, or you know starting with the offensive line, you know, working in the other direction. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say they they keep 10. I think that the 10 end up being Zeitler, Lindebaum, Cleveland, Phillips, McCary. I think they're going to find a way to keep Powers just because he's he's a valuable black up, back up. It could be Cologne or Powers, but it, that's obviously the last spot in the thing. And then I think they'll keep four tackles. Uh, obviously, Falele and uh, 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 Moses and Stanley are secure. And then the fourth would be uh, probably yeah. James. If we uh, if we don't see anything. yeah man I've sat down and watched some James film and like I had to go back and look at the stats I was like oh my gosh it's been since 2018 you know that is yep. a long time long time hopefully for his sake you know he's fully healthy and ready to go and we can get something out of him because it would you know it would certainly give us that depth that we that we need we saw it last year you know and again the Ravens are reacting to last year for Lamar by improving the offensive line drastically and I think they've done that. All right, starters, are we in agreement on the who the five are? It really just comes down to the left guard at this point, yeah, I think. I think it's Ben Cleveland. But, um, you know, I also think it I th- also think it depends on what they do with Makari. If if Makari's given an opportunity at guard, uh, I don't know. Could I see him winning the job? Maybe. You know, I don't think they're going to do that with him, though. I think they'll do, like you said, they'll dedicate Tyree Phillips for – either left guard or right guard, and then let Macari be the swing guy. So, yeah, I think we're in agreement, as long as you think it's Cleveland at left guard. I, I do. I, I I hope they build on what they've got with Cleveland. And, and there's a lot more. It's a it's a larger wager, and there's a bigger upside to that wager if it works out, not just in terms of what Cleveland's ceiling is, but in terms of he's got three years left instead yes. of two for Phillips, yeah. for example. And I like Phillips. Like, you got to respect the guy who's moved around and play and done whatever the team has asked, you know, in some situations successfully and some, you know, not so much. Uh, same as McCarr. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We had terrific talking football with you. We said 30, 40 minutes on this. Of course, we didn't get there because, hey, we, we got in love with talking offensive line as we, as we do. Coach, tell folks where they can find your work. All 22 films on uh, Twitter and uh, YouTube. And look, man, I just want to tell you, it is a pleasure to talk to someone who focuses on each position. You know, I'm guilty of this as well, focusing on only quarterback, running back, receiver. You know, your ability to talk about the parts of the game, you know, during the snap and the reasons why they keep certain guys is is unique for me anyway. You know, because I feel comfortable talking about what happens during the play. But like some of the reasons, like when you were asking me about, you know, nine or ten offensive linemen, that's my brain doesn't think that way. So it's unique for someone to be able to do that. So it's fun for me and I'm sure for other people to be able to um, talk about things like that with someone like yourself and then make me be able to reconsider like, Hey, maybe I should talk about that some more. You know, maybe I should think about that some more. (laughs) 
Well, really appreciate that. That's a very nice thing to say, Coach, and and uh, really appreciate the depth you went through on the offensive line play here because that's uh, a, another level. We're definitely going to have you back on for uh, some shows during the season. I think we may have you on on defense. I know you're a defensive coordinator where you work currently. I'm not, Coach DC, who's also a defensive yeah, I'm, coordinator. I'm actually not. I'm I'm not able to right. Now. Uh, I'm, I probably won't ever unless my son, you know, plays football. Uh, Three year old and a nine month old. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we'll yeah. To that. maybe we'll see. I'm already drawing up plays for six-year-old kids, so we'll see. <laughs> All right. If you're out there and you'd like to be on a film study short, July is a great month for you. Hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. And I get back to you very quickly on, a, on an idea you have. Uh, Coach DC, it was easy. Uh, I, I saw his work and wanted to reach out to him and get going on, on some things. And uh, we've now been on two episodes together. I'm sure it's just the, the first two of many. Uh, Coach, again, thanks for coming yeah, on. Yeah, man, appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.